0: Hi there. You're listening to episode 37 of the Blended Family Podcast. Today, we're following up with our two-parter on teenagers. We're going to talk to one of the authors of the book, Got Teens, Dr. Jennifer Wider. If you have teenagers or children who are approaching that stage, you will definitely want to listen to this interview. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to the Blended Family Podcast. My guest today is Dr. Jennifer Wider. Dr. Weider is a women's health expert, author and radio host who frequently appears on television shows including The Today Show, CBS News, and ABC News Nightline. She's the author of four books including her most recent, Got Teens, The Doctor Mom's Guide to Sexuality, Social Media, and Other Adolescent Realities with Dr. Logan Levkoff. She's a medical advisor to Cosmopolitan Magazine and has written hundreds of articles for a variety of publications. But out of all of these, her best accomplishments are her three children, ages 13, 9, and 4. Welcome to the show, Jennifer. I'm really excited to talk to you today.
1: Melissa, thank you so much for having me.
0: I think selfishly, I wanted to pick your brain because I'm enduring the process of raising teenagers right now, and I find it to be the most challenging stage of development yet. But I know it's not just me. I have lots of friends who are having a rough time, and many of my listeners as well, so we have a lot to cover today. We can tell from your bio that you're very accomplished professionally. But why don't you tell us a little about your personal story, your family specifically, and also why you decided
1: to write the book, Got Teens? Okay. So, Melissa, I have a funny story. I um, did not take a traditional path going to medical school. I sort of backdoored my way in doing this humanities and medicine program as an undergrad. Mm -hmm. And I did some internships at some media venues in New York City, including CBS News in 2020, and sort of fell in love with educating people through the media Um, It's amazing to educate people about their health because there's so much inaccurate information, especially online now. And to put out good, solid, valid information that can help people really is is what I love to do. So I decided to write a book about um, the teen years. And I've spanned a lot of different things. I focus on women's health issues. But I find that it's very authentic if you come from a place that you know. And my daughter, when I was writing this book, really was right in the middle of her tweens. She was 10 and 11. Um, And as we were finishing up the book, she entered her kingdom, for lack of a better word. And I really felt like I needed the advice, too. Um, And I I wanted to find a book that, you know, because I couldn't find exactly what I was looking for, Dr. Lefkoff and I decided we were going to give a little bit from the psychological standpoint, from her standpoint, and from the medical health standpoint, which is sort of my area to combine it together, to be, uh, you know, a story like you're talking to your girlfriends. If you have all of these questions that you can't ask your doctors or you don't have time to or you just want to ask a girlfriend, we try to find every possible question parents might have and we try to answer it in the book.
0: That's great. And I want to point out the format of the book. There's a chapter on every issue you deal with when raising teens, such as puberty, sexual health, social media, and much more. And in each one, there are questions from parents, questions that you will all surely relate to. And I found that it was a very easy but informative read. So I would encourage all of you listeners to check out the book after the show. What I like most about it is that it encourages open communication and your relationship with your kids, something that we practice in my home. I actually was raised in a home, Jennifer, where we didn't talk about anything. And I probably would have continued on to parent that way myself. But Sean helped me open up because that's how he was raised. And I tell you, I really think that it's so much better. Can you tell me, from a professional standpoint, why you encourage parents to foster open communication with their kids?
1: Well, I think it's a great question. And I can really relate to you, too, Melissa, because I grew up in a household where my dad was an OBGYN. And I never had any sort of sex or sexuality conversation with him at all to this day. Wow. So it was a closed, more conservative household that I grew up in. My mom was very easy to communicate with. But, you know, from a professional standpoint, study after study will show you that open and honest communication, whether or not you think your kids are listening, makes a huge difference because, you know, this conversation that you have with your children and you have this communication that's easy back and forth conversation with them. Kids are prone to make better decisions and they sort of think of you before they take risky steps. And it's just been proven over and over again in different studies. So it's so important to have this open and honest relationship with your child. And I know we hear that, you know, it's sort of a catchphrase: open, honest communication. What exactly does that mean? Um, I know that some parents can absolutely shy away from this. There are uncomfortable conversations. Most of the moms that I know personally do not want to sit down and have a, a talk about sex, sexuality, drugs, and alcohol. People would rather bury their head in the sand. But the truth is, if you can relate to your kids in, in such a way, give stories about yourself, um, try to let them know that you've gone through some of the things that they've gone through or take cues from media, I think, Melissa, which is a great tip that I found works, You know. Um, one of the stories I tell in the book is about um, my daughter and I wouldn't let her watch Glee when she was younger I was a little bit worried about some of the themes, especially when she was 10 mm-hmm. um, some of the themes about same-sex relationships or teenage pregnancy and abortion um, you know, forced sex, rape, non-consensual sex. I felt like as a 10-year-old maybe this was a little bit too advanced for her and she would go to sleepovers and you know, some of the parents were less or a little bit more permissive than I was and she'd be hearing things from her friends anyway. So I started watching Glee with her and I took cues from her environment and would strike up a conversation. It was such a good platform, Melissa, to have these conversations because you had, you know, you had this easy entry point, you know? No longer was a difficult conversation. You could just talk about a third person which was a character on Glee for me. Right. So that that was something that made it a lot easier to converse with my my daughter about things that might be otherwise very difficult.
0: Good. And so for parents who are struggling here, and I'll admit I still struggle too sometimes, especially when I hear some of the things that come out of their mouths, but what if it doesn't come natural for you to be open? What are some tips for the parents who have a really hard time with the difficult conversations?
1: Yes, and you know what, exactly to the point that I was just making, it isn't easy for all of us to talk to our kids, and some conversations are easier had than others, and I think you don't want to shy away from having these conversations. If you're not going to communicate with your child about these difficult subjects, they're going to be educated by society, and oftentimes the values and lessons that they get from YouTube, from older siblings, from friends, from friends' parents... You know, you just don't know what they're hearing and what they're absorbing. So if you're gonna default on these conversations, you should, you, know, you, you should get used to the idea that they're going to be educated by aspects that you have no control over. This is part of our role as a parent, I think, Melissa, you know, we have to have these difficult conversations as uncomfortable as they are. It's part of your role as a parent and you need to step up to the bat when it comes to these things and instill your values and your morals and for all of us, they're different. You know, what may go in your house may not be what goes in mine. Um, But it's important to instill our values in our children and to let them know what we are and are not comfortable with and when to make and how we made decisions and struggled with them and what's important to us and what should be important to them going forward.
0: Yeah, I found that with me it was really unnatural at first and I forced it a lot in the beginning, but after a while the conversations just became easier. And I also think the kids pick up on your vibe. If they sense you're at ease, they will be too, but if they sense you're embarrassed, they'll feel embarrassed too. So I think that it just comes with practice. I
1: totally agree with you. Yeah. completely agree. And I think they take it, the cue is a perfect word. I think, you know, my daughter will come to me now with questions or conversations that she never would have initiated before because she knows my door is always open. Good. So sometimes you don't even need to initiate, they will. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So let's
0: move on to the next subject i noticed with my own teens that once they got to middle school that's when i saw the most changes in their personality and we always say that it was like an alien form abducted our children and it seems like an almost overnight thing like just a sudden change and can you explain why this seems to
1: happen and also
0: when do we get our children back
1: yeah, I love it. Okay, so very, very typical question. You know, I, I talk about in the book how my once angelic, patient, loving daughter, who, like, would have pigtails and watch Dora with me holding hands, mm. all of a sudden, one day, really, it is overnight, changed into a werewolf, <laughs> snapped at me, lost her cool, will go into her room, slammed her door, or just shut her door. Yeah. She seems moody, emotional, angry. You know, sometimes I barely recognize her, and then you get glimpses of what she was. You know, yes. like... This loving child who wants to snuggle with you on the couch and then as quickly as that happens it can turn into another mood. I think what we need to remember just from a biological standpoint is that our kids are going through puberty. And as we know as parents, puberty has a ton of different biological changes that we can notice in their bodies. For little girls, their breasts can, you know, start to develop. For little boys, it's, it's different, you know, they have penis development and all of these other uncomfortable topics but just as their bodies are changing as they're getting acne and they're sweating and they you know they need deodorant and and you know their Adam's apples are growing for boys they also their brains are going through changes as well and the, the 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 force of hormones that are coursing through their bloodstream is affecting their their minds and their emotions as well and that's exactly why this is occurring they are responding to their hormones so for women and for moms that are used to going through PMS or they have difficult times during the pregnancies, our hormones can do a number on our bodies. And we know that as women, you know, I certainly suffer from PMS. I have all sorts of changes the week before my period. Sometimes I have a hard time sleeping. Other times I'll break out, you know, even in my early forties, it's crazy what can happen. So I think we need to cut them some slack because they're going through exactly what we went through at the same time. And it's the hormones that are really affecting their minds. We don't really truly get our children back in the form that we ha- that they go through, you know? They're progressing, but it's exactly what should happen and hopefully when they come out on the other end, they're mature, responsible young adults that, you know, are making decisions that we'd be proud of. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's tough. Okay, so my podcast focuses on blended families really. So I have a few questions around that. My first question is, on discipline and structure, most blended families have different structure and rules at each home that they go to, and no matter how hard we all try, it's impossible to ensure both parents are 100% on the same page. So how do we manage this with teenagers who really know how to manipulate and work the system?
1: Yeah, and you know what, this is a great question, and it's not something that's talked about a lot, so I'm glad that we're talking about it here. I think that, you know, one of the trickiest areas for a new step family, I think, is to probably navigate discipline. Mm-hmm. And step kids are absolutely testing their boundaries in a new family. They want to look at the family dynamic. They're definitely going to try to push some buttons. These are, these are the normal things and patterns of behavior, whether in a step family or not, that kids of this age range are going to do. Mm -hmm. I think that most experts, and I read up on this because I didn't, you know, uh, when you sent me these questions, I wanted to read up on what some of the other experts said. And most of the experts that I read will unanimously agree that the biological parent should absolutely handle the majority of the discipline Mm -hmm. and enforcement, while the step parent should be focusing on building a relationship with their stepchild. And I think, you know, I think I tend to agree with that. I think it's very important to build a bond that a child can trust, especially as the step parent. Before you start to become the authoritarian or the disciplinarian, because you're more likely to get a child, especially in an adolescent, who rebels and doesn't listen. And then you hear the typical, well, you're not my real parent, so why do I need to listen to you in the first place, which can really put a lot of pressure on a new family. So I think that I would agree with a lot of these experts that I read that it's very, very important to have the biological parent take the discipline especially in the beginning as the step parent is forming a relationship
0: yeah I I actually really agree with that Um, for me Sean was around since my kids were really young and and likewise the other way around so we've we kind of took on the parent role a little bit sooner, and which made it easier for us because now that they're teenagers, they kind of just know us as mom and dad. I mean, it's right. not, but I do, it actually leads me to my next question, which is, you know, for blended families who come together when the kids are already in their teenage years, it's a lot harder. And sometimes these teens are full of anger and angst and they disapprove of their parents' new relationship and they can make it really hard for the family to bond. So what's your suggestion on dealing with that when you come together when the kids are older?
1: And I think that's an incredibly challenging situation because, you know, the kids are going through so many changes. Right. And oftentimes I think in adolescence and puberty, kids really need to know that they're not the only ones going through something. That They're really craving the need. There's a need for conformity in in, in so many ways during puberty, because, you know, if you're the first one who's developing on any level, you're the first one who gets your period or the first one who springs up and is much taller than your classmates. Um, a lot of kids feel like they may stand out and they just want to fit in, so if you throw in a remarriage or a new family, there are so many changes that are occurring and, and the stability of what children are craving, even though they may not you know, be able to articulate that in so many words, it's difficult to deal with all of the changes. So I think it's important for both parents, the step parent and the biological parent, to be very sensitive that the child is already going through so many changes, so many biological changes, so many emotional changes. And And you know, you don't want to get into a step family and come into all of these new rules. I think it's really important to develop that relationship to sort of set up a base level of respect and not to overdiscipline and to be a listener. Um, and, and try to get into a compassionate situation where the stepfather and mother, regardless of which way it is, or, or someone that child can come to for that open and honest communication we talked about previously.
0: Yeah, that's great. And and the last question I want to ask you, which is kind of what you said before kind of leads into it about not being too much of a disciplinarian, but if you've, if you've got a blended family and the teen and the step-parent do not get along, I know it puts a lot of pressure on the adult relationship and also the relationship between the bio-parent and their child. So what do you suggest, I mean, aside from not being a disciplinarian, for blended families where the, the step-parent and the step-child do not get along?
1: I, I think, you know, I think that's a typical situation for a lot of people. And if it's not a transient situation, well, if it's not a permanent situation, hopefully it's, it's usually transient a little bit, you know, yeah. I think, especially at that time period where kids are going through so much and they're, they're really, their emotions are swinging anyway. I think that what the, the step parent needs to remember not to take everything so personally. Yes. You know, I think stepchildren are definitely dealing with their feelings of loss. They're angry. They're confused. They're, they resent, they may be resentful about the divorce or the remarriage, um, and it's easy for the step parent to see the misbehavior as a direct attack to them. But I think it's really important for the step parent to remember to give that child space and time to process all of the changes that are happening in their life, compounded by the fact that they may be teens. You know, so I think it's it's very important to remember that they are kids and they're going through a lot of changes that we've gone through at that age. And just to remember that you know step parents really need to remember to sort of maintain a sense of calm and maturity and not not take everything so personally.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. And thank you for helping with those questions. It's hard enough raising teens, but even more challenging in the blended family. So uh, I want to move on now to social media. I did do an episode on this topic, so I'm not going to go into great detail, but I love your idea about the cell phone contract. You know, my first three kids, we didn't do that. And I regret it now after we've run into some issues. My youngest gets her phone this year, and I am absolutely doing it. Can you please tell the listeners about the cell phone contract and why it's necessary?
1: Yeah, you know, um, I uh, Logan and I did a lot of research on social media, and I think this is the single largest issue mm-hmm. scaring parents across the country. Yes, You know, I think that if you look at some of the behavior of our kids, it hasn't changed tremendously. And, and the statistics, I'll go into this a little bit later when we talk about um, you know, sex and drugs and alcohol and that kind of behavior. That the trends really are, are more positive than we're seeing in the news because the news tends to be sensationalized. But if we look at social media, it really throws a wrench into parenting for us because it's not something that we're used to. The social media is changing. Apps are, are you know different than they were even at the time that Logan and I had this book come out last year. It's imp- it's like playing a game of whack-a-mole. Yeah. Like not really able to win. And I think one of the things that you can do is establish responsible behavior. Around social media and around giving your child a phone, you know. And Logan and I have lectured all over the country, and we always get questions from parents about what the proper age is to have a, a phone, or, or you know, a phone that has Wi-Fi and social media, and let your child become engaged in that. I, you know, the, the, this is always the question that differs from child to child because you need to know your child. You know, you need to know when you deem them ready to have a smartphone because it is a tremendous responsibility for our kids. Sometimes we can control, you know, you can control what goes out, but you can't always control what goes in. So I think, you know, your child may be feeling all sorts of fielding, all sorts of different things with different apps and seeing things that you don't necessarily want them to see. Melissa, you know, it's really funny because, well, this isn't funny, but it's a poignant story when the Newtown shooting happened. My son was very young in, in elementary school, I think maybe second grade, and um, I remember really debating how to discuss this issue with him when he came home, because he was seven seven years old. Um, and he walked off the bus, and I you know had this whole speech prepared about what was going on. I wasn't sure what he had heard, what he hadn't heard, and I was ready to be the person... To break the news, but not the gory details, just basically talking about how he's safe at school and all this other stuff. And he had already heard everything because somebody had a smartphone, a fifth grader on the bus. And so, you know, that's, that's the world that we live in, the challenge that we're facing. So my advice is, and I think we drew up this social contract about having a smartphone, that it is a tremendous responsibility. And Logan and I did some research on contracts, and it turns out that if your child actually signs a contract, physically print it out and have them sign it, they're more likely to follow the guidelines that you set up. And you really have to follow through. If they if they break one of these things in your contract, you need to take the phone away. You can't just threaten. Right. It has to go away for a certain period of time. So we drew up a contract in the book. This is what Melissa was talking about. And we and we said if you have a phone, you agree to the following rules, and you can actually print it out from our book, but I'll just give you a few of them. One is that I will not take pictures of myself or my friends without our clothes on. And as, you know, as crazy and silly as that sounds, it's something that needs to be discussed before somebody has a smartphone. Right. And if you're uncomfortable discussing it, look, you know, Google in the news and just talk to them about a story where someone got a picture and then passed it on and, and what the ramifications of that are or could be. Um, the next would be that I, I would not forward any questionable pictures that I may receive to anyone else. You know, we've all seen those horror stories of receiving a picture that you had nothing to do with, right. passing it on, and then being tried. Some of these boys were tried for distribution of child pornography. Did you see those, Melissa? Yes, I have. Uh, yes. Okay. So um, I also think, you know, less, less uh, toxic and malignant, as I'm saying to you, a little bit more benign is... I may not use my phone to write mean or nasty things about my friends or peers. Mm-hmm. I caution my daughter, my oldest daughter who's 13, to, to not post anything that she knows that her friends are not invited to. because I think that is one of the you know the most heartbreaking things for kids now, and that's one of the things that really bothers me so much about smartphones is you know you might not get every invitation to every party and it sucks you know when you and I were kids. But now it's like broadcast in Times Square where they see all the friends having, you know, you know, even in sixth grade at a party that they're not invited to. And it can be very hurtful. So I've, I've talked to my daughter about being sensitive to that, hoping that her friends are sensitive if she's not invited. And, you know, everybody gets both ends of this. So I think it's important to bring our children's attention to being sensitive. The other thing Logan and I talked about is not using the phone after 9 p.m. without permission. Mm -hmm. Um, And I always talk about uh, charging the phone outside the room. Um, Always. Do not let your child have their phone in the room overnight. I think that is a major mistake a lot of parents make. Phone should be charged outside the room. I know that my daughter would have her phone sometimes after 9 studying for a test, and I'd go in and she'd be texting. And then she'd be staying up till 1130 Mm -hmm. at night studying because she texted for 40 minutes. Um, I would eliminate that completely, which I, which I did, you know, after I realized that became a pattern. Um, And the other thing is, you know, I, I think it's important not to have the phone at the dinner table or at other family gatherings. That's the other challenge that we don't think about so much is the interpersonal skills that we need to harness and teach our kids. You know, I think our parents took for granted that we would listen. You know, when you listen to someone, you have to Mm -hmm. give eye contact and nod periodically so you you can prove that you have a pulse. (laughs) You know, half the time, I think our kids are, like, looking down at their phones and not interacting with my parents, which is so upsetting for my mom. She just can't stand it. Yes. Um, And so I really think at times where you're with grandparents or family gatherings or dinner, have your child put the phone down. It's not the time to be engaging with their friends and connect with their family members and their parents and to actually have a conversation with eye contact Yeah. to teach them, right? Do you see that with your kids?
0: I see it a lot. They don't know how to really socialize anymore. In fact, they're very good at socializing even with their friends on texting, but you put them all together in person and then they don't know how to speak to each other. I mean, it's this crazy thing that they're doing and I I hate to separate the boys and the girls, but we have both and we see with the girls a lot more mean behavior going on with the phone. A lot of right. bullying, a lot of um, you know, talk about ugly, fat, you know, just yeah, very derogatory things that are going on on Instagram. Yeah. Um, they they had that one app, uh, you know, hot or not. That yeah, I think horrible. they did away with now. That's like one of the worst things I've ever seen, and yeah, it's just. But but I did learn the hard way about the phone in the bedroom about two years ago. Uh, is when I realized that that is not going to fly because she was up late at night texting too, and as soon as I realized what was going on, I was. Like okay, no more. So we have that rule now. Um, You know, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Hundred percent. I mean, I actually talked about that in my last show too, because I feel very strongly about that. I agree
1: with you, definitely. You know, and I think the contract sounds silly to a lot of people, but the point is, you know, you want to show your kids that they, you know, I think kids really need explicit rules when it comes to using digital technology, and I think the only way that we can do this is is to make ourselves clear. And, and unfortunately, we're not going to be able to keep up with everything, but the guidelines are the same. If You don't have to worry about the acts, you have to worry about the behavior to make sure it's responsible. And I think that there have to be con- consequences, and I, I can't reiterate that enough. The, the empty threat, you know, and, and sometimes it's, it's more work for us as parents to follow through, but you have to. Because otherwise, they're not going to learn anything else if, uh, unless we hold them accountable for their
0: behavior. Yeah, I totally agree. And that's what I love about the contract is that they're responsible for their own outcome. I mean, they know what the rules are, it's written right there. If they break it, they they can't complain about the consequences because they knew. So that's what I really like about that. Um, it is a little tough with the blended families. In my last show, I tried to explain to people that if you're going to do the contract, then you've got to try to get your ex on board and have that contract at both homes so that way. Every- Everybody's on the same page, so right exactly,
1: which makes it a little more challenging. Yeah,
0: yeah. Okay. Well, let's move on from the social media. Um, Let's talk about peer pressure a little bit. It's a huge problem, and I notice a lot of kids, including my own, are trying so hard to fit in, especially in middle school. They change who they are, and I know at this age they're still trying to figure it all out. But what's most frustrating to me is that it seems like nothing that we say as parents matters anymore. It's like we don't know anything, but their friends know everything. And how do you even talk to your kids when what you say has no value
1: anymore? Well, so I think, you know, and I, I think what's important to remember is even though you may feel like what you say has no value or isn't having an impact on them, it is more than you think. And, and they were able to track this over the years of parents that do continue to communicate with their child, even with the rolled eyes, the deer in headlight look, all of those things that you may be getting back, you are getting through in a certain way. One of the easiest ways to navigate this, which is very tricky for everybody, we all feel that way, that they're taking cues from their friends, and we need to remember that this is the society that we've set up for them. They're, you know, they're really just interacting in a society that's out there. I've had a, a long talk with one of the teachers in my daughter's middle school about dress codes and about how a lot of the girls are wearing these short skirts. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really told this teacher, who is a guidance counselor and also uh, she teaches a class at school, that. You know, the girls are mimicking what is being spoon-fed to them. That we really, you know, even the moms talking to some of the moms of what they can buy, the, the options aren't that great for a mom who, who really struggles. Their kids really want to fit in. They want to look like everybody else. But yet, But yet, you know, you don't want them to be inappropriate in a certain way. So it's a roundabout way of answering your question because I find this to be very challenging for parents, Mm -hmm. but I think that it is important to keep that communication going. And I do think it's important to give some stories from your past or to take, this is the great time to take cues from their own environment. So if you notice something, if you notice music that they're listening to, you notice a trend that their friends are doing, I would bring that up in sort of a benign, non-accusatory way to try to get into the conversation that way. There's always a way to communicate with your child, and it may seem futile, but it isn't. Trust me. I think that parents that are more on board with what's going on, parents that have the passwords to what's going on on their kids' social media, mm-hmm. parents that keep up with what their kids are doing and follow through with consequences, you'll find much better outcomes for your children. Even if you don't think your children are listening, they really are. And, and they're craving. You know, they're really looking for boundaries. They're pushing because they need you to push back. They, they need boundaries. Melissa, one of the other trends I just wanted to mention very quickly that Logan and I noticed are parents that really have a difficult time parenting. Yeah. There, there's a lot of parents that really want to be their kid's best friend. And I, I you know, I remember seeing Mean Girls with Lindsay Lohan. Do you remember that movie? Yes, yeah, I love and, that movie. And, uh, me too, love it. And Amy Poehler walks in as one of the girls. I think it was uh, Rachel McAdams is hooking up. Yeah, off of her the mom. The bed mm-hmm. and she's like, can I get you any refreshments? Yeah. She's the quintessential mom, I think, for someone who doesn't, play parent. You know, we're we sort of lost our instinct to parent. Yeah. And we want to be the best friend and the cool parent, and I find that trend rampant in in parents in this generation. And I think we we have to remember what our role is and and that we do need to discipline and that we do need to have these conversations and make sure that we follow through with consequences and set up the boundaries for our kids because again, if we're not willing to do that, even if you think your child isn't listening, if you're not willing to do that and set this behavior that you want your children to be responsible for and accountable for and to be responsible, you know, upstanders and good human beings, then they're going to be educated by society and the outcome isn't going to be exactly what you want. So, you know, we got to put our our big, big girl panties on, for lack of a better word, and start to parent, I think.
0: Yeah, well, I'm seeing that a lot, too, um, especially with my, my kids' friends. You know, we see all the different kind of parents that there are out there. And, you know, it almost seems like this generation of kids, they're trying to, like, overtake the parents and the teachers, I see a lack of respect. I totally. see, you know, in the educational system, I mean, I don't know how it is where you are, but I'm in Florida and the educational system here is not as good. And I see these kids just running over top of the teachers and the teachers are afraid to say anything anymore because the parents are defending their kids yes. instead of, yes. you know, defending the teachers. So I it's really it's a national issue. trend. Absolutely. Yep. And I
1: think it's fed by social media and that yep. these kids aren't in- you know, interacting appropriately and they're not, you know, they're, they're, there's such a lack of accountability because everybody's living behind a screen and we're all, you know? Uh, So I think we're seeing some of the, the, uh, the fallout from all of this, all of these trends. This is the fallout and it comes back to the parent. It's our responsibility to have these conversations and to let them know what's acceptable and isn't acceptable. A teacher is an authority figure and I think those lines are blurred in, in, in much more often than they used to be.
0: Yeah. Oh, it's so hard. It is hard. Okay. Uh, Let's get into sex and drugs, which is the hardest issue to deal with and discuss with our children. These days, it seems like kids are getting into things much younger than I remember. You know, my kids come home and tell me that there are lots of drugs all around the middle schools and also that lots of kids are already engaging in sexual activity in middle school. So the scariest part about it to me is that it seems so normal to them. They're so desensitized from the social media that it's frightening. Do we even have any control over all this and what
1: can we do? You know, I, I think this is another one of those hot button topics that goes hand in hand with social media. I think, you know, so so the good, let me let's talk about the good news. The good news is that teenage pregnancy is at an all-time low in our country. So the sex education and the sex talks really are getting, they're getting through to our kids. Kids are having, they're definitely having sex. The age would surprise a lot of people. It's not much younger for the the average American teenager than it was back when you and I were going through middle school, okay? Having said that, we live in a hypersexualized sexualized society right. where a lot of the videos that they're seeing, a lot of the music that they're listening to, a lot of the lyrics, you know, the 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 images that they're desensitized to, and I think desensitization is the exact, it's totally the word, um, that you hit the jackpot with that word. They're desensitized mm-hmm. to it absolutely has a role and and plays a major role in how they see themselves and how they view sex. I think on the other hand, we also live in a puritanical society, which is very strange for American culture. We have an au pair living with me now from Germany and it blows my mind talking to her about the differences of American culture and the way kids are so, uh, the images that they see in American culture are so hypersexualized, but yet our sex ed programs are so puritanical in a way that we're afraid to educate our kids. And I think that's where Parents really need to, to step up here. So there are things that parents could do, absolutely. This is not a lost cause. One thing we need to remember is to have a conversation with our kids about how sex is portrayed in the media. Melissa, I don't know about you, but if you have, you know, background shows being played in different places and we start to see how sex is portrayed on all of these shows, whether it's Law & Order, SVU, or, you know, just trying to think of, like, Homeland or Scandal, I don't know, you know, our teens, our tweens aren't watching Scandal, but some of the other benign shows sex is always portrayed in a very violent and graphic, non-consensual way. And I think it's just these shows that are even on an 8 o'clock, like, there's so much of that. Even in Gossip Girl and some of these other shows that our kids may be exposed to, Yeah. Um, there's non-consensual sex and there's a lot of violence surrounding sex and sexuality. And that's the message that our kids are getting. It's not really, they're not seeing sex as a good thing. They're sort of seeing it as a bad thing. And I think that one of the things that we talk about, in our book is that sex is not a bad thing. It is a wonderful thing, but along with that is it's a tremendous responsibility and a responsibility that we want our kids to be sexually literate and, and media literate where they see sex and view sex as what it is. And I think that they're not too young and you may disagree with me and I think I appreciate that because for everyone can have their own opinion. But I think that you know I think that we need to present a holistic view of sex that sort of incorporates, the emotional, the physical, the relational implications and outcomes of what it means to be intimate with somebody else, mm-hmm. what the consequences may be and what the pros and cons may be. But also we want we want our kids to know that sex is something that's supposed to be wonderful. And this is something that you want to share with somebody that you have strong feelings with. It should always be consensual, it should always be reciprocal. And I think with that message, you know, and this is sort of a, a, a message that you might not hear from everybody. Because a lot of people, you know, a lot of my friends who will come to me all the time and listen and say, I don't want to give the sex talk. Can you give the sex talk to my kids? (laughs) And I'll say to them, it's not a sex talk. You know, this is an evolving conversation that needs to start because our kids are sexual from very little. And it's not something we need to stick our heads in the sand, you know. It's not something we need to be scared of or shy away from this kind of conversation. But we want to teach them that sexual, sex and sexuality is something that really should be consensual, that should be reciprocal. Um, and what I mean by reciprocal is that if you look at sex ed in our country, you know, when my daughter in fifth grade went through her first sex ed class in public school in Connecticut, the boys were divided up on one side and the girls were divided up on the other side of the gym. No joke, Melissa, like out of the 70s. Right. I think they saw the same video I did going through high school. The girls got the talk about their periods, which many of them didn't have yet, and the guys got the talk about erection mm-hmm. and wet dreams. So they walked sort of, well, they walked out sort of feeling empowered, and the girls walked out feeling disgusted, right. disgusted, like disgusted and ashamed of their bodies before anything was gonna happen. Remember taking six girls that were ten to from like uh, uh, picking them up from school and driving them to a dance class, and they were all like, "Oh my God, I don't want to have my period. It's so disgusting." And thinking, what a lost opportunity. Like, our girls are so ashamed and disgusted by their bodies for absolutely no reason. You know, and this is their sex and sexuality talk. I mean, it's like, that's what I mean about puritanical. It's these same messages over and over and over again. And I think we need to present these topics in, in a certain light and have our girls feel good about their bodies empowered by their bodies, understand that their bodies can give them pleasure, and it should be in a way that, again, is consensual, and that sex is a two-way street. Of course, I don't give this talk to my 13-year-old, but I do want her to know that sex isn't like the scene in Gossip Girl where one of them is raping the other, and these are the images that they're seeing, you know? Yeah. Um, That Chuck Bass scene in the beginning, I remember the first season, I had to talk to my daughter about it because she saw Gossip Girl at a sleepover when she was 12, and it was that particular episode.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, I agree. The uh, educational system around sex is not good. And the worst part of it all, and I did talk about this too in my last show, is pornography. Um, You know, a lot of our kids, our teenagers are having access to pornography now with their smartphone. And, you know, you need to explain to them that pornography is not what real sex is like. It mostly focuses around male pleasure, not female pleasure. And it's just, it's, it's not how it really goes. You know, those people had a lot of setup to get to that. That scene. And it's just, I mean, our son actually came to us about, you know, a, a quite a disgusting thing that he saw at a friend's house. And, you know, I don't even want to go into it here. It was, yeah, yeah. It was pretty nasty. And he was confused. And he said, you know, this, this is what this girl did. And, and we said, that doesn't really actually happen. You know, right. we had to explain it to him. So, um, you know, it's, it's pretty tough because they don't understand. And some of I them are afraid to talk, talk to,
1: them them to you and your husband that your son came to you. Yes. You know what I mean? I mean, that is just brilliant to me because it means you're doing your job well and there's, and he feels comfortable enough to come to you. I think it's phenomenal. No matter what he saw, you can put it in context for him. Exactly. And that's our role. I think as parents, you know, to answer those questions and to let your child know that your door is always open.
0: Yeah. Because if you don't, they're going to go to their friends and they're going to get armed with the wrong information and that's what you don't want. So that's right. That's right. Okay, Jennifer. Well, that concludes my questions for you, but we do have a few listener questions, if you don't mind. Of course. Okay. The first one I got is, is it best to make them be sociable with family or outings, et cetera, or just leave them be? And I know you said a little bit about this with, you know, when people come over, you know, put down the phone, but what if you have a a teenager that just wants to be in their room all the time and doesn't want to join the family? What do you think about that?
1: You know, I, I think this is something that I've personally grappled with, and I think this is a tricky question. On the one hand, if you really want your child to get engaged, and they come and they roll their eyes and they don't talk and they're they're on their phone or they're you know just disillusioned and sort of not sort of a buzzkill, <laughs> for lack of a better word, yeah. You know, do, are you better off leaving them in their room? You know, I, I would I would probably say that I I would I I have made my daughter come and socialize, and I think. You know, I think what's important for our kids to realize is that their extended family is is a gift, especially when it comes to grandparents who aren't always going to be there. Mm-hmm. And I remember I was very, very close with my maternal grand- grandparents growing up, incredibly close. And when I lost them around the time that I got married with my husband, it was such a tremendous loss for me. And I don't want my daughter to miss out on that amazing relationship because my parents are very close to my children. And I've noticed that the relationship really has drifted over the last two years or so with my daughter and my parents. You know, my mom is trying to connect to her. She's on her phone a lot and and she's texting and she's tired and she just wants to watch an episode of Glee in her room with her headphones or How I Met Your Mother. You know, it's one show after the next on Netflix. Um, It's a challenge, but I do think that it is important to, to nudge them along. I don't think they have to partake in everything. I think it's great to respect their boundaries. You know, if you're going to a family friend's house, for example, and this is when I left my daughter. I think if it's a first degree relative or a relative, it's good to, to nudge them. But I left my daughter when we were socializing with another family that didn't have children her age. Okay. I left her and I let her do her own thing and she had a friend over and I thought that was okay. Um, and, and, and sort of get them, you know, they want to feel like they have some control over their environment. And I think it's good to to pick and choose your battles. But I think first-degree relatives, I absolutely would try to get them to, to engage.
0: Okay, that's good. Uh, the next question I got is, what's the best way to handle a teenage girl as a stepmom?
1: Well, you know, here's here's another issue. I think the relationship between mom and daughter, the biological mother and daughter, is incredibly tricky for a teenager mm-hmm. so if you throw a stepmom in you know as we were talking before about not being disciplinary and you'd want to try to bond with your child when i was you know talking about that i thought more of the dad to the to the kids now when it comes to the mom I think I would give the same advice I think you know you want to tread lightly you want to try to develop a relationship you know I think recognize that your stepchild is absolutely going to test you I think if you're a stepmom that has biological daughters you may know that but if this is your only daughter you know or stepchild who's a girl that that in itself is a tricky relationship And I think for the mom, it's important not to take everything personally. That even if this were your biological daughter, you're going to feel the anger, the confusion, the resentment. You're going to get that anyway. And I think you need to remember that it may not be a direct attack on you, even though it feels like it. And just try to find something in common where you can bond. You know, regardless of what that is, whether it's going out for Frappuccinos at Starbucks or going to, you know, a movie together like the Divergence series, something I would find to relate to to their environment take a cue from the environment and try and develop a bond that way
0: great great answer uh, next question how do you deal with a narcissistic ex <laughs> who is brainwashing the child
1: that you know that is really hard i have a girlfriend actually who has gone through that believe it or not where she has a narcissistic ex who really was diagnosed with narcissistic per- narcissistic personality disorder Um, who really is all about himself and places himself first. And he comes before the welfare of her her son. And unfortunately, he's feeding the son with all sorts of negative comments about the mom. You know, and the mom is my friend. And she has done such a tremendous job with the new relationship with the biological father and the stepmother. And they had a new baby. And she put the sonogram on her refrigerator. I mean, she's really very magnanimous. She's dealing with someone who isn't. Um, And I think that you want to stay the course. You know, you don't want to let somebody's bad behavior change you and who you are. You know, you don't want to stoop to their level. You want to maintain your integrity. And believe me, when your child is old enough to realize, they're going to know who's who's appropriate and who's inappropriate. And that's what happened. She had this narcissistic ex-husband. And now the son has, you know, recognized the father's behavior as being inappropriate. And it's hurt their relationship. Yes. So, you know, you just, you don't want to change who you are and you just want to be that steadfast, supportive parent. And unfortunately, sometimes we're dealing with behavior that's hard for us to control.
0: Oh, yeah. I always say that you can't control anybody else. You can only control your reaction to it, and it's just hard when there are kids involved because... uh, But I agree with you. I I think that the kids usually do figure it out on their own eventually. So it's just hard in the meantime, but they will figure it out. They will.
1: Absolutely.
0: Okay. Question number four. How to handle when you feel your spouse doesn't require enough of their teenager? For example, everyday chores around the
1: house. You know, this is another great question, actually, because I think one of the challenges that we face as parents are other parents. I think that's one of our biggest challenges, actually. Mm -hmm. You know, I've spoken to many parents who have their child went over to a friend's house and the parents happened not to be there. Um, They left their children unattended. They ended up having a party in their basement. Other parents that are permissive with alcohol, even with kids that are underage, they feel that it's okay to serve alcohol in their house because they're home. You know, you're you're dealing with a lot of people's value systems that are very different from your own. And it may be a parent or an ex ex that has different expectations in their own home. Very important I think to sort of get on the same page as an ex-parent, you know, an ex to try to have the parenting be consistent. Our kids need consistency and you're only doing your child, it only benefits your child to be consistent. And you know, you may run a household differently than your ex. But you want to sort of find a middle ground. You know, you may be a person who's incredibly anal and likes the room very neat and your ex may not feel the same way. Can you somehow meet in the middle so your child gets a consistent message, you know? I think that may be worth compromise in that sense. But, um, But it's very important to get on the same page. And I think... And, and that's one thing that you can try to do and try to control in that environment if possible because when it comes to other parents outside your home framework, it's impossible. And oftentimes with the next, it's impossible also. And just, you know, that whatever goes on in your own home is what needs to be needs to be pushed. Your child needs to follow the rules when they're under your roof, essentially. Right. And, and to recognize, you know, that's the other thing I just wanted to say as I'm talking. Mm-hmm. There's flexibility. You know, our kids, giving your child the ability to be flexible is not a bad thing. And so to understand that the rules may change depending on what house he or she is in isn't, isn't so bad a life lesson because flexibility is, is a wonderful quality for our kids.
0: Yeah. Well, I think also in this person's case, I think what she's talking about is her own spouse. And, and what I have to say about that is, you know, depending on if you're the custodial parent or not, I notice a big difference because we... We, over the years, have had custody sometimes and not custody sometimes, and it kind of flip-flopped, but um, I noticed with the kids that are not here all the time at my house, you know, when they only come on the weekend, we don't want to throw a million chores at them because we only have the two days with them. But if the child lives here all the time, then we, we expect a little bit more out of them. You know, but usually what we always did was during the week, we would have, you know, things, chores, and on the weekend when all the kids, whether they lived with us permanently or not, on the weekends, we would let things go a little bit. So that way it always seemed kind of fair. But if you've got... Um you know, an actual spouse that you're married to, and this is your stepchild, and you feel like your spouse is just not requiring anything of that child, it kind of goes back to the discipline thing. As a step-parent, you can't just jump in and discipline that child right away, but I think it it requires you to talk to your spouse, you know, and get together alone and talk about it, what you, you know, kind of come to a compromise, like you said, with what should be expected in the house. You know, if the child is making a mess every day, you know, it should be expected that they pick up after them. Himself, you know, things like that. So,
1: totally, I totally agree.
0: That's a tough one. Okay, and the last question, Jennifer. uh, This one I just got in. How do you deal with a friend of your teenager that you know is a bad influence and treats your teenager poorly? She says, I would love to forbid my daughter from seeing this girl. Is that even possible?
1: You know, I think at a certain age, we have much more control than at other ages. Mm -hmm. And I think at a teenager, we don't really control or can control realistically who they're socializing with. I think that it is a great time and a great platform to have a conversation of what your values are. You know, I think at this and and what and how you expect your child to act. We covered this in the book a little bit. And there was a child who had a friend who was um, she shoplifted. And, and the child actually was getting into real trouble. This is the friend, by the way. The friend of the right. child was getting into real trouble. And the mother was concerned that this behavior was going to rub off on her child and actually would forbade this girl from coming to the house, did not want it. Um, and I really felt like she was in her right to do so. But what do you think happened? Did the, the daughter socialized with this girl at school anyway? Right. Um, right.
0: And I think what happens, too, is the more you push them to stop seeing that person, you know, it's kind of like that rebellion in teenagers where they get pushed more towards the person that you don't want them to see. I don't know why that is. I mean, I remember that when I was a kid, my parents didn't like a couple of my friends. And the more they would say something, the more I wanted to be friends with that person. Absolutely, And I think that
1: really has to do, it really has to do with, it's a very normal developmental milestone for kids, actually, because... They're they're dealing with that need for autonomy and the need to to they're really cu- becoming independent essentially yeah and so they want they need to rebel back and, you know and they feel like they don't have to follow what you say because they feel like they're becoming their own person and there are many times where your parent will say one thing and they'll say listen I'm fifteen I'm fourteen and fifteen and sixteen I can make my own decisions and it pushes them towards what you might not seem as desirable and that can absolutely backfire so. It is definitely a tricky line to toe. I would have the conversation of what's important to you. A lot of parents see their kids being friends with children that may be doing drugs, kids that may be drinking, kids that may be driving under the influence. There are all of these things and you need to really set the guidelines of what is acceptable behavior for your child. And And that is a great way to end this because I think this is our role as parents is to give our kids the tools to navigate this tricky landscape that's presented. You know, we can't we can't, you know, get them an invitation to every birthday party. We can't stop them from falling and, you know, getting a cut on their knee. We can't necessarily stop them from trying alcohol or taking a puff of marijuana. You know what I mean? We're just yeah. not going to be there for all of these things that our child may experience. But what we want them to do is when they fall and get up and try to make the right decisions. You know, if our kids are drinking and our kids are going to drink, I mean, they're all gonna drink and statistics just show that they're gonna drink, that they're not gonna drink themselves into a stupor and that they'll know when to cut themselves off when they're making bad decisions. These are the tools that we wanna give our kids. So if our child is out there and their friend is shoplifting, we need our our children to be able to say, hey, that's illegal. I don't want, you know, I'm not gonna hang out with you if you're doing that. You know, this is where we want our kids to get up because eventually they're going to be their own independent people, young adults that are going away from our home and we really want them to succeed in life and to to be responsible human beings and that's really our role. It's not to troubleshoot for them or to take the fall for them or to navigate who and what they can be friends with or what apps to use and what not to use. It's to give them the tools to make the decisions and it becomes harder and harder as they get older, as they're flying, you know, further and further from the nest our control goes down and their control goes up. Yeah. But the tools in their hands are hopefully ones that will, will, will be safe and, you know, lead them in a healthy direction.
0: Well, that's great. I was going to ask you if you had any parting advice, but I think that covered it. That really ended it on a good note. And I totally agree with you, Jennifer, can you please tell the listeners how to find you and your book?
1: Definitely. So I am on Twitter at, at Dr. Wider. I'm on Instagram at, at Dr. Wider also. I have a website, www.drwider.com. And you can always email me questions. I do a lot on Serious XM, and I get questions from people who go through my website to ask medical questions and other parenting questions. Happy to answer all of those. And, and the book, and all of my books are available on Amazon. So you can just Google it. The name of the book is Got Teens, The Dr. Mom's Guide to Sexuality, Social Media, and Other Adolescent Realities. Um, you know, and you can pick that up on Amazon if you're interested.
0: Great. And I'm going to post all of those links, as always, in the show notes, so they can just click there. Thank you so much, Dr. Jennifer Wider, for coming on today and talking with me about teens. And thank you for writing the book you Listen- so
1: much, Melissa. This
0: was great. Yes. Listeners, join us in the private Facebook group at www.blendedfamilypodcast.com group. If you want to comment on the show or if you have a tip to share on raising teenagers and go get that book. It was very good. Thank you so much for listening today and we will see you next week. Bye.